When people talk about the Beatles today, it's often as if they sprung out of nowhere. And while it's true that they were revolutionary, radically changing the popular music landscape forever, they did not exist in a vacuum. They, in turn, were influenced by the musicians who came before them, particularly by black American singer-songwriters such as Chuck Berry. This week's guest is a man who has experienced chart success himself, Peter Hooten of the Liverpool band The Farm, who, as chair of the city's Beatles legacy group, is determined to give credit to the musicians who inspired them. I'm Laura Davis. And I'm Ellen Kerwin. And this is Beatles City. So Alan Peter Hooten, obviously we know him really well from, from the farm, who were huge in the 80s and are still going today. He's also chair of Liverpool's Beatles Legacy Group. And he came to us with something very specific that he wanted to talk to us about. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so when I spoke to Peter and I said, you know, we'd be really interested to get you onto the podcast and to speak to you about your views on the Beatles and this, that and the other, it was actually Peter himself who suggested, we, well, who said he would really like to talk about the background of the Beatles music and their influences and things that maybe aren't touched on as much as they should be which really it you know it's refreshing and it really sums up his role as being you know the head of the Beatles legacy group because he knows very much in his head what he wants people to know and what he wants people to learn about the Beatles and it's also about you know what people can find find out about the Beatles throughout the city so you know where they can go to find out about the influencers so it's it's really really nice and it was refreshing to have somebody almost um dictate how they'd like the episode to go which which was lovely and it was nice to hear something a little bit different to what we've had on the podcast before yeah and, and obviously that's a subject we want to explore in future episodes and actually talk to some of the black musicians who were in Liverpool at the time so Peter himself is a musician. Do you think that gives him a unique perspective? Well, when we talk about the Beatles, we talk about it from a fan perspective. And, you know, we're really interested in the music and the band as a whole and the history and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Peter, being a musician himself, he obviously has a very different outlook on it. And it's still a very positive outlook, but it's just it's really interesting to see how another musician from the city thinks about the music that they created and, you know, the band as a whole it, it's just it's nice to listen to and it's especially good that he is now out there and he's promoting them because he's got that specialist musician knowledge and he's you know he knows what the Beatles would have been going through at their time so it's nice that he can talk about you know what it would have been like in America and what it would have been like in the city and really touch on those aspects of it. meeting me today and speaking to me about the Beatles for Beatles City podcast. Yeah. Um, in 2016 you were actually appointed the chair of the Beatles Legacy Group and I mean was that an easy decision for you to just accept and decide that was something you'd like to do? I was actually rehearsing at the time in uh, in Lipper, believe it or not you know and I got a phone call through from um, Kevin McManus who's the uh, head of um, the Liverpool Music Office for the City Council. He hadn't taken that appointment at that time, but he just, he, he was working on the music side of things, UNESCO. Um, and he just said, oh, uh, Joe Anderson's going to ring you up in a bit. Uh, be expecting a call off him, because I don't usually answer my phone if it's, I don't recognise the number, you know. And um, so he rang up and just asked me if I'd be interested. And I think I said, 
yes straight away you know was it I mean what was what was your first thought when he asked you did you ever think oh this would be too big of a job or were you were you happy that he'd considered you uh, I'd been to um, the launch of the economic report at the city council on on the Beatles tourism industry and its effect uh, and I'd also once been on a coach with Joe Anderson when we went down to London once and I'd sang in my life after a few drinks so <laughs> I don't know whether these things had any um, impression on him you know but I mean I, I didn't know what it entailed at the time uh, and he said basically be looking at how uh, the city reacts to a tourism strategy really regarding the Beatles you know so I mean I was I was honored to to, to uh, do it but basically I'm just I'm basically the chair of a group of people who um, are very influential in the city. People like, you know, from the museums, from the market in Liverpool, from uh, various places, you know, but from the university. The one thing they haven't got is a commercial interest in the Beatles as such. So the idea was it to, was it to be totally independent, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, I think I haven't had an office as such, you know, we, we meet fairly regularly, like, but obviously uh, I, you know, I think in the in the mainstream of things, it's about getting the um, you know the Beatles story across to people, where they came from, uh, what influenced them, and that that to me is the Beatles legacy, because a lot of a lot of people don't you know they might know a little bit of the history about the Beatles, obviously they're from Liverpool, they played in the cabin a lot, you know, but they don't I don't think unless you really read into it, you don't get a sense of what influenced them, you know, and that's what interests me. Uh, and I want to, in the future, I want to become going to museums and going to the likes of the Beatles story and places like that, where it's it's there in black and white in front of you, the type of songs that influenced uh, Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison, you know. Well. It- that, that's what you sort of bring to the table, isn't it? You, you're a musician yourself, so mm. you've got that sort of outlook on it and you, you're obviously really interested in what influenced them and the, the real sort of musical side of it. Do you yeah. think Liverpool maybe doesn't, you know, play enough on that side of the, I, the legacy? I, yeah, I don't think... I mean, there's, obviously there's been a lot of written about uh, R&B influences on the Beatles, uh, but I think... I think generally in the in the city and and worldwide, I don't think people realise the extent that black music uh, had on the Beatles. You know, and Lennon McCartney openly talk about it all the time, where their influences came from. You know, and which records that they were tra- trying to be like. But I think I don't think that story's got across. You know, I think now twenty twenty, it's the perfect opportunity. Not to rewrite history, but to reassess the historical aspect of it, you know. Yeah, it's it's more, I suppose, shining a light on it, isn't it? You know, things that maybe hasn't come to the for to the forefront in the past. Yeah, I think there's so much, you know, what what's been going on recently with, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and, and you know the uh, and racism in society, both in in the US and and the UK. I think it's brought it to a head, really, you know, because. Basically, you could put on Twitter, if there was no black music, there'd be no Beatles. And we know that because that's a fact. That's what John Lennon and Paul McCartney have both said numerous occasions, you know, without Chuck Berry, uh, without Little Richard, 
and without uh, Ray Charles, there'd be no Beatles because they were the they were the artists they were trying to emulate. People know the Elvis connections, but basically Elvis was was recreating black music, wasn't he? So, yeah. and John Lennon was always being interviewed and always saying, you know, uh, without they're the people that matter. Forget about Sergeant Pepper and you know the people that matter, like Chuck Berry's Little Richard, you know, uh, Ray Charles. So I think it's important that we that we emphasise that. And as a Beatles legacy, because of Liverpool being a port and because of those influences from all around the world, but particularly from uh, America, from R&B in America, I think it's, it's got to be emphasised. Also the fact that there's lots of talk now about migration. Without uh, Irish migration to Liverpool, the Beatles wouldn't exist, you know. I think three out of the four had um, Irish descent. I think there's even um, there's even suggestion that it was four out of four, depending on which research you believe. But Mark Lewison, in his brilliant book, Tune In, researches it all and goes back to where the actual great-grandparents were from, you know, in Ireland. So without Irish migration, without black music, uh, the Beatles wouldn't exist. I don't think, even in Liverpool, people are really emphasise that, you know. Yeah, I think that that's the thing with Liverpool. It is such a melting pot, isn't it, of different cultures and different things like that. How would you, how do you think personally then that we make sure that these bits are getting recognised in in the tourism industry and in the legacy? It's about education, I think. It's about education. I think the uh, the um, you know the Beatles story and the Beatles Museum and Matthew Street's both brilliant museums. But if you go into the Beatles story, there's, there's references to uh, the Beatles uh, heroes, basically, but I don't think it's it's referenced. You know, it's not. This is the genesis. This is the start of everything. You know, uh, and that's all about um, the narrative. And if the Beatles legacy group can do anything, it would be to look at that narrative to see if that narrative is the correct narrative. Because I don't think most people coming from all around the world to to find home with the Beatles. I don't think that is in the mind. They think something evolved from Liverpool out of nowhere, you know, not realising that, you know, there's there's all these brilliant records that the Beatles were actually playing in the Hamburg days and the Cavern days. They were actually covering them, you know, uh, and they actually songs like uh, Long Tall Sally, you know, was played uh, by the Beatles throughout and even on the last concert in 1966. It was so enduring, you know. Do you know if there were any sort of local influencers on the Beatles? Yeah, I think, you know, there was, there's been a couple, there was a documentary called Who Put the Beat in the Mersey, which is about uh, black music influences on the Beatles. Now, people claim that they went to clubs in the uh, Liverpool Lake area. And they were looking at uh, various black artists there and looking at different chords that they were using, not just from um, from seamen, but, you know, for pe- musicians who were, used to have parties there. And that. it's a lot of it's, a, you know, a lot of it's um, apocryphal. You know, we don't know. There's no photographs of the Beatles in these clubs, you know. But certainly from, um, not from primary sources, but certainly from, from other people who, Say, for example, the Jacaranda, and uh, if you look at, you know, uh, Lord Woodbine, who, they wouldn't have gone to Hamburg without Lord Woodbine, who's a famous uh, character from the Liverpool Lake area, you know. So I think all these things, 
it, it's all about a jigsaw. And it's it, if you if you're ever researching anything, you know you've got to get uh, hopefully by cross-referencing an element of the truth. Now, there's a brilliant photograph of the chance uh, it were a doo-wop group from Liverpool later, where eventually uh, some of them uh, became the real thing uh, that we'll you know most people in Liverpool know about because they were massively successful. But the pictured with the Beatles and Little Richard, I think it's in New Brighton actually. But the chants are also another group who were written out of the story, really. Even though uh, Brian Epstein was representing them, I don't think they ever signed a contract with them, but Epstein was certainly representing them. Uh, and and the Beatles basically backed the chants at the Cavern because they didn't have... They were a do-wop band. The Beatles played some of the music that they were singing, you know, and they played as the back, backing band. Now, some of their stuff now, you can get it on YouTube. It's only had a few thousand views, you know, a few thousand views. It's been up for, some of them have been up for eight, ten years. And that, to me, that's criminal because you hear those tracks and they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah, there's one called uh, I Don't Care uh, by The Chance and it put it into YouTube, only a few thousand listeners, but it's absolutely brilliant. And you can see why the Beatles are attracted to them because they were, they were black musicians, they were black singers and... And the Beatles had always idolised R&B artists in America. You know, that's who they wanted to be like. There's no doubt about that. And it's certain records which change the whole outlook, whole perspective. Ray Charles's uh, song, What Did I Say, was released 1959, I think it was. And I think Paul McCartney, Mark Lewison writes in his book that Paul McCartney heard it on a, a BBC show on a Saturday morning, took a note of it because it, he was so startled by it and went out and bought it. Not many other people bought it in, in this country because it wasn't a hit over here, even though I think it was released over here. But it wasn't a hit, but the, Be the Beatles became obsessed with that. George Harrison talks about going to parties in Liverpool with this record and making it, people play it for hours on end. Records like that were instrumental in the Beatles sound and shaping that Beatles sound, you know. And you know, knowing the music inside out like you do, can you hear really distinctively the similarities? Or you know, if if people were to go back and to listen to those records that you're you're suggesting, will they also be able to hear the yeah. influence? Straight away, straight away. It's the rhythm of the track, Ray Charles. What I say, you hear the rhythm, and you just think the Beatles in the cavern. In fact, they used to cover it all the time, you know. And there's other there's other tracks. There's a um, there's a track by Bobby Parker called Watch Your Step, and uh, I didn't know about this till I saw a documentary called John Lennon's Jukebox, and John Lennon talks talks about the song. He said he was, you know, he was one of the great songs that, you know, he would carry around with him in his John Lennon's Jukebox. And it's by a blues artist called Bobby Parker, who um, sadly passed away a few years ago, but he interviewed Bobby Parker as well. And they said, uh, you know, what do you think of... Uh, because Lennon says... If you listen to Bobby Parker's Watch Your Step, it might sound a little bit, bit like I Feel Fine. And then when you play them next to each other, it's the same riff, you know. Uh, Bobby Parker had been in, influenced by other people. He'd been influenced by um, Dizzy Gillespie, the jazz trumpeter. So he'd got it from somewhere else. So it was all passed down throughout the generations. But if you listen to that Bobby Parker track, there were certain, a few few groups were doing it. I think the Yardbirds were doing it and a few other groups did it. But 
the Beatles actually, uh, and the Allman Brothers copied it as well. So lots of people were copying it, you know. Lennon uh, was quite adamant. He was saying, basically, we took it. Bobby Parker, he was there getting interviewed for this uh, South Bank show, John Lennon's jukebox, saying, well, you know, man, I was flattered. I was flattered that the Beatles used it, but I would have liked a little bit of recognition, you know, but listen to those two tracks side by side, watch your step and I feel fine. And it's a revelation. What about later on in the career and as they became bigger and they did eventually break America? Do you think their influences changed a bit or do you think they came into their own and started experimenting a bit more? I think they came into their own, definitely. All those influences, all that melting pot. Of, I'm talking particularly about the late 50s, early 60s, when basically they were covering a lot of other songs. They, they hadn't developed as songwriters. They really had, they were, they were, they were in the, um, their apprenticeship period, really. So they were playing all of the favourite records from America, all these brilliant R&B tracks, you know. And then they actually put them on the first few albums, didn't they? It wasn't really till um, Rubber Soul and Revolver, which they really went into their own as uh, songwriters, so they uh, didn't tend to do uh, later on cover versions, you know. So as the career progressed, it was confidence as well, the confidence of doing your own songs. You know, the Beatles were revolutionary in the fact that they were doing their own songs, you know. When they did that famous uh, audition many, many years ago when they were turned down, uh, I think most of the songs, most of the songs, two-thirds of them anyway, were cover versions, you know, because they probably didn't have the confidence because they probably thought the, the people from Decker who were listening to it, they know these songs, so it's our interpretation of these songs, you know. Uh, they'd already had... Love Me Doing, Please Please Me, written, but they, were, they didn't play them at the audition. You know? So when you hear the audition, you can get that on YouTube as well, the things they played. They were turned down, and, and you got to say to yourself, well, you know, it's not surprising they were turned down because there was lots of groups doing these type of songs. You know, It wasn't, as you say, it wasn't until the later years that they really flourished and they had their own identity, you know. So do you think sort of Liverpool's musical heritage has been shaped by that, have, has been shaped by this, a sort of similar idea of, you know, the, the apprentice period almost, you know, and going to the cavern and it, everything being sort of replicated? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, it, it, you know, it depends who your heroes were. I mean, Lennon and McCartney's heroes were all these people I've mentioned, you know, and they wanted, you know, they wanted to be like them. And then when all of a sudden they were the biggest group in the world, it was probably a bit of a shock to them, you know. So a lot of groups in the, would have been playing in the cavern that would have had similar influences, but the difference between the Beatles and those, the Beatles developed this brilliant songwriting. Uh, and it, it's about how they did that uh, and the influences that allowed them to do that. So they were touched with genius, weren't they? But they also had those, the template to work from. And the template was black music. Like the Beatles, are, I mean, they're always going to have their own legacy. But why do you think it's important that Liverpool really makes the links between itself as a city and the Beatles? I think it's important because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about recently about uh, Liverpool as, you know, a major slave trading port uh, and Liverpool about, about migration, you know, and I think. We, 
in a way, we stand alone as a city in many respects because we've got people who are pretty progressive and saying our city was built on immigration. Our city was built on migra- migration. So I think it's important that through education that people are aware of that because the young generation coming up, they wouldn't be aware of that, I don't think. You know, So I think it's important that that message with Irish migration and, uh, and black music influences there would be no Beatles. And I don't think being, I don't think many people say that. I think Lennon said it and McCartney said it and George Harrison said it and Ringo Starr said it, but not many other people, you know. And it's, you know, it just depends on your perspective. But I think now, in the year 2020, with all that's gone on with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, I think it's a perfect opportunity to, uh, to, to look at the narrative and look at those influences. I think it's a time now time for a period of reflection yeah definitely it's 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 a a great time to do it but I mean you did mention the pandemic it's also quite worrying because I mean there was talk of the um the cavern potentially being under threat what can you tell me about that yeah there was a bit of publicity I think the headlines are probably a little bit misleading from what I from what I can gather off people involved in the cavern Uh, it wasn't under threat of imminent closure I think the idea was that they had to get across the next few months because uh, it's all about cash flow with with, with organisations like that because you know, they're obviously having still to pay rent and rates, but they're not getting anyone through the door uh, buying drinks over the bar. And, and the- you know, it's not just the cavern. Obviously, the cavern's got its links to the Beatles, but Liverpool as a city, you know, it, it's got great musical links. And unfortunately... You know, there's, there's been talks the past couple of years that maybe some of the mu- music venues are closing down and, yeah. you know, the Zanzi bar not long ago was shut down. What, what's your yeah. opinion on that? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's I hate seeing venues shut down. You know, it's absolutely, you know, it's heartbreaking to see them go, you know. Nobody predicted this, so we had no savings in the bank. Luckily for the cavern, they had a pot of money for a rainy day. I think Bill Heckley even said, you know, you know, they had the money put away for a rainy day, but they weren't expecting a thunderstorm, you know. It was like, I mean, in the music industry, all our all our festivals are being put back till next year, you know, and we had a few gigs lined up with Magnus. Uh, but, you know, who's to say they're going to happen next year? Hopefully they're going to happen next year, but nobody, nobody could foresee what was going to happen this year. So we can't really look, even though they've been rearranged for next year, we don't know. I mean, you know, no one's got a crystal ball, you know. Yeah. And when, when people from, when musicians from Liverpool, do, you know, do well and go on to do well and when venues, you know, thrive, they in itself, they almost sort of reflect the Beatles legacy, don't they? Because it obviously all started and it, and it all grown quite yeah. nice and organically. I think so, because they'll always be asked about them. Yeah. You know, they'll inevitably asked about them, you know. Uh, during the 70s and 80s when uh, Beatles tourism didn't exist really, you know, uh, but groups would be fairly dismissive of that of that period because it was the previous generation. But now I think if you're going to get groups coming up now, where, say the Mysterines, Red Rum Club, you know, uh, groups like that, uh, they'll be asked questions about the Beatles and I think they're proud of them, you know. How could you not be proud of the, you know, the greatest group there's ever been, you know, who revolutionised not only music, but society. Uh, you know, some commentators in the 60s were saying they're going to 
destroy society with this, you know, uh, permissive society. And look at this length of the hair, you know, and it was over the collar. And that, you know, that's the that's the reality of the situation, you know. So I think it's people have a different perspective now, you know. That post-punk generation was singing about uh, that was the past. But I think now everyone, you know, Mick Jones was in The Clash. Uh, he was the guitarist in The Clash. He's a Beatles obsessive. But they sang in London Call and phony Beatlemania that's bitten the dust, you know, because that was part of their image and their fashion at the time. I think everyone now uh, realises, you know, how unique and how um, important to society the Beatles were. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? it? It wasn't just the music aspect. I mean what they were talking about and what they were, you know, shouting about at that time, it was really different to what anybody else had been speaking about at that time. So do you think that was influenced as well in a certain way? Yeah, certainly, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the campaigns in the, in the 60s for um, civil rights and also for, you know, uh, anti-Vietnam War or things like that, they always had a background there was always a Beatles song in the background, wasn't there? You know, so I think, yeah, it became part of the um, the soundtrack for that generation, really. You know, I I didn't I was aware of the Beatles, but you know, because I I'd grown up in the uh, in the seventies, really. You know, uh, it wasn't until Paul Weller said go out and buy a Revolver that I went out and bought a Revolver. And I went out and bought a Revolver, thinking, oh, this is the Beatles. That's from years ago, you know, sixties, but. And I heard listen to it and it just blew my mind, you know. It's a similar way to the tracks that Lennon and McCartney must have heard coming in from America that they bought in NEMS or they borrowed in NEMS or whatever Brian Epstein used to let them do. <laughs> that must have blown their minds. Oh my God, you know, I listened to uh, Tomorrow Never Knows probably about uh, after Weller had said buy it, so probably early 80s. Uh, and I couldn't believe it. I just, it was like, it was, you know, changed my whole outlook on the Beatles, you know, and, you know, because we'd, we'd been used to the Beatles hits, you know, the, the, the songs you'd always, you'd always known, but tomorrow I never knows, you know. It was like, uh, like nothing I'd ever heard before, you know, and that had been done in 66. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so what else do you think? What's the next step, really? What would you like to see, ideally, after after the pandemic and hopefully when it, things start getting well, back to normal? Certainly, you know, obviously love the tourists to come back to the city. I think there's an, there's an opportunity here uh, for people to rediscover their own city as well because I don't think many people from Liverpool probably go to the Beatles story or the Cavern or the Magical Mystery Tour. I've done it recently and they're eye-openers. They're absolutely brilliant. A couple of years ago, I went with all my mates on the Magical Mystery Tour and we had an absolutely fantastic day. It was a Saturday afternoon, and then we went to the cavern after the, the uh, Magical Mystery Tour. And the cavern at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon was absolutely rampacked. We were thinking, it must be like this all the time, but we weren't aware, aware of it because it's usually tourists go on those things. So I think it's a great opportunity for not only the people of Liverpool to rediscover you know, their, their own cultural heritage, but also... Uh, the people of the UK. If you've enjoyed this episode of Beatles City, please remember to review, rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. 
where you can also find episodes from our first three series. Our guest next week is Dale Roberts, who has made a living promoting Liverpool and the Beatles. One of his current jobs is to give tours of the cavern, where he helps debunk some of the most famous myths. So next week, he's going to shine a light on some of those myths and tell us secrets of the cavern club. (laughs) 